You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on charity season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 349. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Thursday interview for you. We're talking to Dr. Jada Jackson from the Big D today. A lot of good stuff to break down here. Just talking about relationships in general. We do have a lot of Big D talk, but I wanted to talk relationships in general with her and see where she stands on certain issues, especially ones that have come up, you know, in Bachelor world and in social media world. So we will get to all that momentarily. I did want to say right off the bat that tomorrow and Monday's podcast will sound a little bit different because I'll be on the road. I'm going to be in California this weekend. My gosh, my 30-year high school reunion. Crazy. I don't really, I'm not a whole, I'm not real big on the age thing. I don't really, like people are like, oh my God, you're 48 or whatever. I, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I, you know, when I get older, it's not about the number for me. Like, wow, I'm almost 50. I never think about that. What weirds me out more is I can't believe it's been 30 years since I've been in high school. Like that seems like probably because I remember so much about high school. I just can't believe I haven't been there in 30 years. I mean, not been back to the campus. I've been back to the campus since then plenty of times. But I'm just saying just the fact that being a high schooler, was 30 fucking years ago. That is crazy to me. But this isn't something that I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to go back. I'm dreading it. Uh, I've said this before a couple times. Uh, our senior class, we had about 525, 550 in our senior class. When we had our 20-year reunion, I think about 125, 150 showed up. So we had a good turnout. And it was pretty much all the people I wanted to see. It's not like... Um, I didn't know a lot of people in my high school. It was, we've, I don't want to say we've all remained close because everyone's gone their separate ways, but um, it's, a, we've, I feel like when we all got together 10 years ago, it was almost like it was back to 93. You know, it was one of the best times I ever had was my 20 year reunion. I don't see how this is going to be any different. I know I'm going to have a great time seeing everybody again. I am a little bit disappointed that probably the most famous alumni from our class, Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, <laughs> he is, my guess is, no, he's not showing up to this thing. Um, by the way, his name is not Pedro Pascal. Well, at least, I mean, that's his stage name, but um, Peter Balmaceda was his name in 1993. And he was, yeah, he was the guy in uh, theater. Uh, and he was the guy, I think he wrote our senior play or starred in it. I wasn't in theater. I don't even remember if I saw our senior play, but I know that he was heavily, heavily involved. But yeah, Pedro Pascal was in was in my class. Um, and Jody Sweeten went to my high school, although she was a couple years behind me. Matthew Morrison went to my high school. Um, I've had a few. I had quite a few... Uh, that went there. But anyway, yeah, he <laughs> we've we've been joking at, uh, about it on the uh, on our Facebook page that like, hey, is the, is the Mandalorian showing up? Probably not. All right. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, if you have not heard yet, I, I got to believe you've either heard or seen either on my Twitter, my Instagram story, my Instagram feed, or you listen to the daily roundup today. The spoiler is finally out. I finally got the confirmation that I needed a couple days ago. I was actually going to post it yesterday, but I would rather have ranted on Nick than, um, than do it in yesterday's podcast and put it out there. But your finale spoiler for charity season is out. How it ends is out. And, um, yeah, I'll give you three seconds to either mute. If you don't want to know, I'll give you three seconds to mute and uh, move on. If not, I'm going to give the spoiler right now. Three, two, and one. So Aaron gets eliminated at Hometowns on Monday. And then the overnight dates are Xavier, Joey, and Doughton. The order of filming is Xavier, Joey, and Doughton. I don't know how they're going to air it 
in terms of the order, but I know that's the order of uh, overnight date filming. Sometime in between Joey and Dotton's date is when Aaron shows back up. We've seen this hinted at in the previews. That's Aaron walking to her when she's sitting on the beach chair. He asks for, you know, whatever, like, I don't know the exact conversation, but if someone comes back after getting eliminated, it's basically like, I still think there's something between us. And she obviously, you know, rejects him. In terms of final three rose ceremony, I don't know if there's actually a rose ceremony. And you've seen it in the previews. Clearly, she has an issue with Xavier. And she's the one crying to him, saying, we're a week away, and you can't give me your loyalty. Those lines, that's with Xavier. That's been shown in the previews a thousand times. But I do know your final two are Dotton and Joey. And I know if you've listened to the Daily Roundup, and I think I put it in my column at some point as well, like for the longest time, I didn't know who finished fourth, and I didn't know what the breakdown was. And we did have the video footage of Aaron in, in Fiji. We knew that Dotton was there. He was part of that footage. And then Xavier was shown in the previews for the season. So um, my thing was like, hey, like it certainly is leaning towards this way, but I still had never been told who got eliminated at Final Four until it was confirmed in the end of last week's episode during the previews. It clearly showed that Joey was in Fiji. So that was the first time I was confirmed that Joey was in Fiji. I didn't know. I hadn't been told that he was. He clearly is there. And those are the three overnights, Xavier, Joey, and Dotton. The one thing I have known for at least two or three weeks was that um, Aaron certainly didn't win because he's down in paradise. And I knew that Joey didn't win. And But with Joey and Dotton in the final two, well, <laughs> you know your answer now. Charity got engaged to Dotton in Fiji. They've been together ever since. Happy and engaged from everything I've been told. And, you know, I understand how this works. You know, it's going to be if you're a Joey fan, you're going to point to every single thing on social media since um, the end of filming. And you're going to have questions. Well, what about this? And look, I've, I've heard everything. Everything's been sent to me. I'm well aware of all the social media things. Why all of a sudden did Charity start following Joey's sister? The answer, as it is most of the time, I do not know. And I do not care. Because every single season, you can point to something post-filming to show that, wait a second, if this person didn't win, why are they doing this? Why are they being followed by this person? Why is this being liked by this? Joey's putting on his Instagram page pictures of him and Charity and videos of him and Charity. I don't know what to tell you. She, only, she can only pick one guy. She picked Dotton back in April. I got the confirmation that I needed. They've been together this whole time. So anything pointing in Joey's direction, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if you can call it trolling on their part. I don't know if you... It's just... It's why I always say social media will never give you 100% certainty on anything. She's with Dotton. She's been with Dotton since the end of filming. She's never been with Joey. So... I don't know what to tell you, but I know it'll be doubted for four weeks, but August 21st, you're going to get your confirmation and I'll be, I'll be vindicated. And that's that. That's all I care about. All I care about is getting you the spoilers, you know? Um, you know, I was wrong on, you know, the, um, you know, initially, uh, I, I assumed when I saw the video of Aaron and Fiji, I'm like, well, you know, why would I assume that he had come back from filming? But, uh, he did. And, you know, when the show gave it away last week about Joey in Fiji, I'm like, okay, well, Joey made it. And he ha obviously had an overnight date, but, and that confirmed that Aaron does come back. But yeah, Joey and Dotton are your uh, final two, and uh, she chooses Dotton, and, and they're engaged. So there you go. This is going to be a fun four weeks of <laughs> the doubt, and what about this, and what about this, and what about this? And my answer is going to be the same for every single one of them. I don't know. And frankly, I don't care because all I care about is the ending spoiler. Me spoiling today that Charity's engaged to Dotton has nothing to do with anything that happened post-filming. I was able to find out what happened in Fiji. And that's all that matters. Um, no, she's not with Joey post-show. No, she didn't change her mind. Like, look, I've heard everything. And all I cared about was finding out what happened in Fiji. And I did. She's with Dotton. She's been with him ever since. You can... You can dissect things until you are blue in the face. 
Nothing that points to Joey means anything because she's been with Dotton this whole time. Sorry. All right. Um, yeah, before we get going, I want to talk about Earth Echo Foods and their healthy, feel-good superfood product called Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body. It is starts with 100% USDA organic, rare ceremonial-grade cacao beans that are naturally dried by the sun, maintaining their miraculous health benefits. These ingredients were carefully chosen to support health, longevity, healthy weight, and even your happiness. This is now... Something, a superfood, this Cacao Bliss superfood is something that I can put into a shake either with milk, either with water. It does not matter. Definitely makes me feel a little bit better. Helps reduce my cravings. You know, it facilitates weight loss as well. It boosts your energy, combats inflammation. One simple drink. All you got to do is one scoop into a cup of water, almond milk, organic milk, whatever kind of milk you want to use. You can even put it into your baked goods and it still tastes better. It is great. Thank you. For all those who have purchased off Earth Echo Foods and continue to do so, go to shop.earthechofoods.com slash realitysteve. Use promo code realitysteve. That gets you 15% off everything at Earth Echo Foods. That's shop.earthechofoods.com slash realitysteve. Promo code realitysteve. 15% off of everything on the Earth Echo Foods page. And if you don't remember that URL, it does not matter. Go to the show description wherever you listen to your podcast. Earth Echo Foods will be highlighted. Click on that. It'll bring you right to the landing page. Purchase your Cacao Bliss or your Island Bliss, whatever you want from Earth Echo Foods, and just stock up. All right, let's get going. Podcast number 349. Okay, let's bring her in. Uh, You've seen her this season on The Big D. She is is a uh, therapy and um, you're a author, a counselor, a coach, a motivational speaker. (laughs) It's Dr. Jada Jackson. Dr. Jada, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, this is our first introduction to you. Um, I, the funny thing is, I've now seen clips of you online on Good Morning uh, Texas, which I live in Texas. I never saw the episodes you were on, but I've seen the clips of you online now. So um, I want to know, kind of, I guess, introduce yourself to the audience, uh, your background, how long you've been doing this for. Just give the audience a little bit more of it to know about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a licensed mental health counselor and licensed professional counselor. And basically, Steve, I just love when I say love, I love working with people and helping people. So, you know, that's it in a nutshell. However, I do run a practice um, here downtown Dallas and um, have therapists who I train and work for me. And, you know, we help people with relationships and mental health issues and all the things. Um, but again, you know, being on a reality TV show is, is believe it or not, um, not so different from what I do every single day. No, I can totally, uh, see that. (laughs) So just get a curiosity how, you know, this is the first season of the big D we've never had this show before. This is season one. How did you get involved with this? Did, was it just casting people reached out? And it just mm-hmm. like, how did this howl happen for you? Yeah. So, you know, I have auditioned for several different um, opportunities for an on, uh, on-air uh, therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, lighthearted production. It wasn't my first time auditioning. And um, so, of course, they reached out to me and, you know, it's been awesome uh, working with everyone over there. And, you know, they called and just said, Hey, we want you, we, you know, to audition for this. And I did and got a call back and said, yeah, we, we want you to join, uh, the cast. And again, got a chance to, uh, really get close to Jojo and Jordan, which was nice. Um, but yeah, from lighthearted, uh, production, Jeff and, and, um, Paul and Rob and working with them has just been uh, really awesome. So through the seven episodes that have aired, we have seen two of your sessions um, in, in, that were that were done in Costa Rica during filming. And the first one was Devin and then Takor last week. But I want to start um, with Devin. Him and Alexis, I believe, have been divorced for two years now. We've kind of gotten a backstory on them. It seemed like, if I'm not mistaken, her her mother played a, a kind of a big role in mm-hmm. um, in their divorce. I'm sure we'll hear about it more as we go on but 
when you sat down with Devin, his seem his um, issue seemed to be controlling his anger. When you sat down with him, is there anything more that you learned from him? And when you did sit down with him, what did you think? You know, is a way that he could fix his anger issues. And do you think that he listened and did well for what you can say going forward? Yeah. Yeah. So when I got the call, um, you know, they told me, they say, hey, your first session is going to be with Devin. And of course, we have a little bit of um, profile on them. And I was able to look at it and just kind of get an idea of, of who Devin is as a person. And um, you know, also sitting in the control room, watching everything that's going on, which is, again, fascinating from a reality TV perspective when I compare it to being a therapist and, and really analyzing what's going on. But watching Devin and his behavior, he was uh, triggered very easily. And that triggering usually comes um, from a deeper place. Anger is not just anger, though, Steve. And I, and I think that um, many of us know this. Once you are triggered um, because of anger, the first question that's going to come up for me as a therapist is, oh, so what's beneath the surface? What's really going on? Because just like I, you know, taught Devin on camera and you, you you'd only saw a very small clip of, you know, Devin's session. And I want to make sure that that's understood. Yeah. But one of the things that I taught Devin was anger is a secondary emotion. And so if you're popping off, you know, every time somebody says something and you're triggered externally, then you have to look deeper. What's really going on beneath the surface. And did you see um, with Devin, was he able to express to you exactly what that was? Yeah, I think beneath the surface for Devin is uncertainty and not being in control of situations. And for Devin, and again, I want to make sure that, because I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but Devin has his own, you know, his own things that he's dealing with as um, most of them do. Mm -hmm. um, but without saying specifically, I believe that um, Devin's inability to manage his emotions comes from an unstable um, emotional background. And so when he's able to recognize, I feel afraid right now, or I feel embarrassed right now, or I'm feeling uncomfortable, you know, really getting to those primary emotions for Devin is what was most important. And what's beneath the surface, I would say of most triggers is fear. Yeah, that's interesting because that leads me to the next one, which was what we saw last week in Takur, who immediately after his uh, blow up last week on three different women where, you know, he had his issues with Joe. Where you he know, Steve, I really hate you have to say that, but that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> his blow up on three different women. But yeah, yeah keep going. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, he, you know, first he started with Joe where he made the comment about, you know, well, how dumb can you feel like uh, dumber than any other day? And I was just like, oh, boy, that came out. <laughs> Either he tried that to say yeah. something or it just came out wrong. And then again, making Dee cry and then mm -hmm. jumping down Casey's throat saying you give the worst yeah. advice. Like, yeah, he yeah. just. But then, yeah. you know, and most of us viewers watching that at home were just like. Either get this guy off the show because this is, you know, the second or third time he's clearly been drinking and he he can't seem to handle his alcohol well. But then literally the very next scene is him coming into a session with you the next morning and, you know, taking accountability for what he did. He didn't try and mask it and say, oh, well, it wasn't as bad. No, he he seemed to understand it. And the first thing he said was, I have jealousy issues. And you said, well, not really. Um, and then you said uh, something about fear, right? You said that he's afraid and kind of expand on the whole Takur conversation that you had. Yeah. So what I was seeing with Takur is that when he first came in, first of all, of course, he immediately was uh, tagged as kind of the jock guy coming in, the frat boy, I've heard it termed, and some other um, titles that Takur was given. But he comes in, you know, big guy, very outspoken, 
and of course the alcohol didn't help, but that's a completely different issue, Steve. And yeah. we can talk about that later, but there was something at the, at the core of Takur that it's easy to label it jealousy. Well, he's just jealous that Dee Dee is potentially looking to connect with Blair. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that may trigger a little jealousy, but at the core of what was going on with um, Takur, it was much deeper than that. And so when he said, you know, my jealousy is getting the best of me, well, yeah, people don't really act in just absolute rage like that when it comes to jealousy. You can be jealous without, you know, getting so far out of what is normal for a person to respond to. I mean, he was going way out there. Mm -hmm. He was just so out there, which is probably why you wanted to punch him in the face. But at the end of the day, I really wanted to test to core and just push him a little bit further to see okay, we can mask this with jealousy, but what's really, really going on? And of course, that's when he, it started, you know, and then I said, well, is this a, I really wanted to say, is this an ego thing? And I think I may have said, is this pride or is this, is this you attempting to, um, you know, flex your big man muscles because you're probably the biggest guy in the house. And are you, you know, trying to fan your peacock feathers because, no pun intended, but because you, <clears throat> excuse me, you are, you know, wanting everybody to know that you are the alpha in the house. What is this? And he said, no, it's not that. It's not pride. It's not, you know, it's it's not ego. It's not that. Well, then, Takur, what is it if, if it's not? Because I know I'm not going to let you cover it with I'm just jealous. Yeah. And you said, no, it's not pride and ego. It's not me being an alpha male. OK, then what is it? And then he kind of started to get into the depth of it, the depths of what was really going on. And I can say I do believe that that's really what was happening with him. He is what he's masking is what we call adverse childhood experiences. He's was masking some family of origin issues, masking, um, you know, some unresolved childhood traumas that he's gone through. And he's learned with all of his maladaptive and poor behavior to project that onto other people so that people don't know that he's really afraid and broken and scarred inside. Yeah, the surface level that we got in that um, session was he was abused as a child, and then mm-hmm. he said, um, "I my parents failed me, which in turn mm-hmm. made me fail Dee Dee in our relationship. It's certainly not an excuse. I don't think he was making an excuse when he said that, but he was kind of just explaining, I think this is why I did what I did in my marriage with Dee Dee, which was seemingly mm-hmm. constantly... Uh, cheat on her and you know I, I thought that was a really you know we didn't you know for six episodes we had no idea we just thought this guy was a really bad drunk you know and mm-hmm. was intimidating made women cry made his ex-wife cry made everybody there just seemed very intimidated by him and then you get to that session and you're like oh okay um mm-hmm. a little bit more there than it's not just that and you know you kind of you kind of look at it and you're like wow um, and then, like I said, that day when I or when I'm watching that session five minutes earlier, I'm like, get this guy off the show. I want to punch him. And then the next step, and then five <laughs> minutes later, I'm like, man, I feel for the guy because clearly right. he's going through stuff that he had no idea about. Like, I'm guessing when he told you this, you kind of opened his eyes to, oh, wait a second. OK, now I see things that I never saw before. Right. And and I think that's the whole that's the whole point. And, you know, one of the things I have to say is, you know, reality TV relationships, of course, are incredibly complex, especially for those of us who are watching it from the outside in. And you don't know everything. You're just seeing snapshots along the way. And but in therapy, you know, one of the things that we're experts at is untangling the web of emotions and you get it really quickly. And you saw that in the session with Takur because he was able to, in a short period of time, encapsulate his entire life in almost two sentences. 
And I believe that is the power of holding the mirror up, especially in moments like this to say, hey, dude, you, got, you, you really got to look at yourself in the mirror here. Because now, you know, what reality TV does is it allows the entire, you know, uh, community of reality TV watchers to look into your life in a, a certain for a certain period of time, but they don't have the backstory. And so what I love about this show is um, I get to help with that backstory and un unravel some of uh, those tangled webs of emotion. You know, when I had JoJo and Jordan on and I was talking about this concept of this show with them, kind of brought up the fact that, look, we've seen reality shows where you know, mostly on MTV, um, where you have to do something with your ex, whether it's compete with them or, you know, you have you know, team up with them or your ex just shows up on the show or something along those lines. And that's someone that, you know, maybe you hooked up with, maybe that you even dated, maybe that you were in a year or two relationship with or maybe you weren't even engaged to. But mm -hmm. I don't think we'd ever seen a show like this before where you're literally having to live with someone you were once married to i mean that is a huge <laughs> thing that just doesn't it doesn't happen in you know real life for the most part um yeah, yeah. some of these people you know with um with ben and angelique i mean that's a 14 year marriage that now and i think they were pretty recently divorced when they came on the show absolutely it is not, absolutely it, there's no way it's easy to sit there with an ex that you were once married to if it's an ex that you you know like i said hooked up with or maybe dated for a little bit okay maybe a little awkward but you can kind of let feelings go and kind of move on from that. This is an ex-wife. This is an ex-husband that you're now seeing date in front of your face. That whole yep. dynamic made this show, makes this show so interesting to me. Uh, and to me, that's that the interesting part is, and you, you mentioned it with Ben and Angelique, you could tell how Ben really, really struggled when he came into the house. And of course, Angelique moving on a little sooner than, been but again every single participant has their own issues that they have to unravel and i like to say this to the couples that i work with steve and that is you come into a relationship with an individual identity and when you come together now you have to form a couple's identity and when you spend 14 years or six years or however many years cultivating that couple's identity, it's very difficult to separate that, especially if you have children. And so it's a, a very interesting concept with the idea that you can find closure, you can walk away, find closure, let it go, or you can see if there's something still there. Maybe we, we jumped the gun and maybe we really didn't need to get a divorce and we, you know, we can try again and hopefully rekindle the love that we once had. So very interesting concept for sure. So I, I do think lighthearted kind of hit the nail on the head with this one. Yeah, I think. Um, and, I, and the other thing I liked, at least about the original six couples of the show, that it wasn't <clears throat> six straight couples that all were in the same boat in their relationship. It wasn't just, hey, six divorced couples, we're going to put them on, they're all going to date. Because we've had some couples where one of the party wants to get back with the other one. We saw that with Brooks mm -hmm. wanting to get back with Casey. Ariel completely uh, wasn't over Blair. Um, and then we've got um, some couples that are wanting to rekindle. Clearly, Devin and Alexis want to rekindle. And then there's mm -hmm. singles that have branched out. Angelique it seems to have a liking towards David. So it's a mix of everything, which makes it uh, you know even more intriguing. But yeah, the whole uh, idea of in the real life, if you get divorced, clearly um, both couples eventually at some point, if they, if they aren't looking to rekindle, move on and start dating, you just don't have to do it in front of somebody, in, in front of your ex. And that's what, <laughs> that's what brings out, obviously, some uh, emotions here. And I'm sure, like, you know, for Tacor, it probably was tough. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. seeing Dee Dee and Blair develop some sort of connection, uh, even though they went end up, you know, going home. But, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and they, they had said this when they started doing the media rounds for the show, was JoJo and Jordan saying that you 
you helped their relationship. Now, I don't know if that was privately, and if it was, then obviously we can't talk about, uh, you know, uh, doctor-patient, you know, I get the confidentiality between Confidentiality, it, but, yeah. But um, if, if it was just out there on the island talking to them, is there anything you can share about how you helped Jordan and JoJo in their marriage? Absolutely not, Steve. Darn Absolutely it. not. <laughs> but I will say this. Um, you know, at you know, I think um, one of the things Jordan said was that, you know, sitting in the green room hours at a time, you know, getting getting our hair and makeup done and working with the stylist and wardrobe and all the things we we really had some time to connect and and we had our own house that we were sitting in and talking and, you know, all the people who were with us helping us and, you know, get ready for the show, we had some really lively conversations. And so I can share what those lively conversations were. How about that? Okay. Yes. Um, as opposed to the details, but of course, one thing that came up um, for us in talking about relationships in general was how much do you reveal about the person that you used to either be married to or you dated for a lengthy period of time? And how much detail do you dive into in order to make your current relationship work? And so we really, I mean, and again, it wasn't just Jojo Jordan and myself, there were probably a good 10 other people in the room too. And, and when I say the discussions got really lively at times and, you know, and, and tears sometimes because we had um, created this safe space to really talk about real real um, life issues and I kind of saw it as like group therapy almost but again um, we all go through things and so relationships hurt when we have to let them go and letting go of a relationship and not knowing if you're making the right decision be um, traumatic at times and so one of the things that I shared with um, everyone in that particular conversation was that we have to know exactly what we want as individuals. It's no different from what I just said a moment ago about coming together, creating a couple's identity. You can't come together with someone else if you don't know what your needs are. And understanding what you need as a part of this relationship is key. I think most of my couples that I work with right now, the reason they are breaking up or the reason they're getting a divorce is most of the time they don't really know what they want and they have a misconstrued understanding of what love really is. And so if you're not coming to the table bringing your best self, there's no way in the world you can connect in a healthy way to someone else. And what we're seeing play out in you know, this particular show is that many of them came having expectations, having needs, and realizing that their needs would never be met. And then, hence, the fallout of the drama that takes place. Mm. It's interesting. And I'm curious, because you guys are on right after Temptation Island, I'm curious, do you watch Temptation Island at all? I have not. Okay. That's okay. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's all right. <laughs> so if you ask me something, I'm probably not going to know it. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk about relationships in general, and I was going to tie it to something that in Temptation Island, but it doesn't matter. We can still talk about it in general. And this is, you know, I think this comes up a lot, uh, and, I, and first I want to talk about a generality and then a couple things that I have for mm-hmm. relationships and just getting your opinion on Um First off, just in general, we, we've heard this a thousand times that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I don't know if that's too simplified, uh, but in your mind, does does the same hold true for relationships? Like if you only like bad boys or, no, or you only like athletes or you only like, you know, whatever, younger men and the same thing keeps happening. Is that more of a reflection on what that person is choosing or? Or is it coincidental? 
No, it's definitely, I believe, what the person is choosing. But when we're talking about choice, we really have to peel all the layers back, Steve. And so I always go back to who we are, who we are at our basic core fundamental state innately. And we have to look at our family of origin. We have to look at nature versus nurture. We have to look at our experiences. We have to identify our traumas. We have to look at all of those things at such a deep level that so that we can understand why am I doing what I'm doing? And so that would take me back to understanding how we've attached to core Um, whether people hate him or not, he really hit on a very important concept. And what he noted was, I had a really strained relationship with my mother. Okay, all of us, when we come out of the womb, we attach. That's what's that. That's pretty much what skin time is, right? Mm-hmm. Skin on skin time. It's how do we attach to our caretakers? Do we feel safe at the core of who we are? Um, somewhere along the way, Takur realized that he could not trust women. As sweet as Didi, Didi is, as amazing as she is, it has nothing to do with Didi. It has everything to do with who Takur is. Now, he's again, I said he's developed a lot of um, strange behaviors attempting to cope with his issues. But again, he has a fractured attachment. So when we're talking about um, choosing a mate, yeah, we're going to choose mates based on several components of Um, who we are as people, but the cycle, I think, is what you're really talking about, Steve. Yeah. Are we going to continue to choose the same type of person? And my quick answer is yes, unless we break the cycle, unless we do the work, unless we figure out where am I falling short and why, and what can I do to change? And I do believe that a huge part of that is looking at ourselves in the mirror and figuring out, can I stand to be, have moments of discomfort so that I can grow and have a healthier relational dynamic? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that I don't know how much of the audience knows about this, and I'm going to have a very, a very revealing and very, um, in-depth interview with Casey uh, coming out after the season because I, I, I don't know how many people know this, but Casey uh, wrote a book uh, within the last mm-hmm. few months that she released mm-hmm. that yep, talks about her upbringing, which was, as I told it to her, about as fucked up as you could get. I mean, she mm-hmm. was not in a very – she did not have a very loving mother whatsoever and the amount of uh, – which caused her to date men that treated her poorly – uh, mentally, mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is. I read the book in three hours when I got it, and mm. it is. I, I'm sitting there reading this book, and like I said, I'll I'll get to it once. Um, and people are going to hear the interview I do with Casey about it, but it is. Uh, I'm sitting there reading the book, thinking to myself over and over again, almost yelling at her through the book. Why are you doing? Why do you keep getting going back to this guy? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? You know, it's just like. And you just don't comprehend it. And then, you know, you kind of see her, you know, on the show and, you know, we don't know how it turns out for her on the show, but I think there's a lot more. I think some people just see, oh, Casey, oh, she's the short, loud one on the show or whatever. But I can't wait till people hear her backstory and dive into um, whether or not they read the book or not. They're going to hear some of the main things that happened to her in her childhood, which absolutely seem to have formed mm-hmm her dating life pretty much all the way up through Brooks for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like it is very, very telling why she ended up with Brooks versus, you know, where she's at now in her life. It's, it's very, very yeah. interesting to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't read the book yet and I certainly will. And Casey, I mean, she is a, she's just a spitball of fire and I love her to pieces. And, Again, she's a great, great person. 
Um, but to know some of the things that she's gone through again is very telling. And, and I think it's the same with, um, many of us. We, um, when I think about, um, oh gosh, oh, I can't even think, think now I just drew a blank, but, um, <laughs> I was going to say that, um, oh gosh, the, the Mormons, I'm sorry. I, um, ben gosh, and Angelique. I, I, Ben and Angelique, why couldn't I think of that? (laughs) But they they talk about their, um, you know, being Mormon and how that impacted them. And again, there's a whole religious component there of core belief systems and what that means and and how it unfolds for them and how they made their decision to get married. And then they grow into these other people and they go, wait a second, I'm not sure if if this is really what I want or if it was what I wanted or what does this really mean for me right now? I've evolved, I've developed, I've grown, I think differently. So what does this mean? And so when we have those moments just in our basic human development, you know, we realize that we change. And that change, um, I think, um, again, maybe Casey has gone through that change. I can definitely say Takur is going, wait a second now, uh, my behavior, this is not good behavior, but what do I do with it? And so everyone has a story. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I have a podcast and talk to reality show contestants, because when reality show contestants go on TV, sometimes they last long on a show and we kind of get to know a little bit more about them. And some of them last, you know, one or two episodes and you're just like, well, why is that person interesting? Everyone's mm-hmm. got a story. Some might be more interesting than others. But everyone's got a story, and that's what I like to share is to just like, look, I don't care you or so-and-so from, you know, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I care more about you as a person. Tell us, you know, your story. And I I cannot wait for people to hear uh, Casey and what she's been through in her life because it's it's certainly – uh, it, it's triggering. Uh, it's certainly not something that I think I would wish upon anybody to have the childhood that she did, but hmm. she's very open about it. And that's, and it's, again, I don't think you're going to get any of that on the big D. I don't, I don't think that she tells and goes into detail on it during the show. So when people hear it, they're going to be like, wow, did not know Whoa, that about yeah. her and just going to stop maybe referring to her as like, oh, she's the, you know, the loud one with the loud voice, you know, the, the short one with the loud voice, you know? Um, yeah, right, right. But this, you know, I'm just curious with the concept of the show, and we talked earlier about, you know, living with your ex-wife, living with your ex-husband, and then possibly moving on in front of them. Just the concept of people who've gotten divorced getting back together. In your years doing this, if people get back together, which I know it's been tried, it seems like it's very hard to succeed long-term, I'm sure there's obviously examples out there where it has, but for divorced couples who want to rekindle, I don't know. Can you list one or two things are the probably the most important things that need to happen for them to rekindle and for it to last a long time? That last section, that last part you said, yeah. last a long time. If we could remove yeah. that, that I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But what I will say is, um, I know I know a couple of different um, people who have remarried um, a, a person that they originally divorced, and and it was two different um, reasons. But one thing that I can um, say there is a, a number of reasons why people choose to remarry because they they rekindled that love and they really want the companionship or they miss the companionship, or they've realized that they had something good and they just didn't work hard to, to keep it. Another reason is um, blended families. You know, um, when I, I have a, a um, family now that the parents remarry to keep the family together, mm. and because it went from blended family and then back to the regular family, and again, you know, I, I, I always say that Regular life is just as complicated as reality TV. It's just that reality TV has cameras around, right? And so um, there are so many uh, different types of reasons why people do what they do. But if a couple is going to remarry, 
there has to be a true definition of love implemented. Love is not what we've been told. It is not um, the feeling of butterflies and that moment where your heart swells. That's not love. Love is an everyday decision and choice. Are you going to wake up and choose to love this person even when this person is not the person that you like today? So that causes for quite a bit of selflessness. And selflessness in a relationship, I think, is the only way that a relationship can survive. It's interesting because it seems like at least on this show and then maybe in examples in real life that a divorced couple that is looking to rekindle the initial rekindling comes from being around them again and more of a lustful thing or, Oh look, we're not fighting. And that maybe means that we can be back together. You know that it seems like that's where it starts. But like you said, it takes way more than that. Have you noticed that it seems to when the rekindling wants to start is centered more around I don't know, a physical aspect, a a lust aspect to where it's like, wow, I I really enjoy being around them again. And, you know, um, I'm excited again to be around them. And then it just disintegrates from there because it was built around nothing solid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point because when you said that, it made me think of Ariel and Blair and then it also made me think of Jillian and David. Yeah. And the reason why is because I think there was, with Blair and Ariel, I think Blair was just like, I'm done. However, you started to see Blair come back around toward, you know, the end before Ariel left. And I, and I think that what happens is proximity allows a person to really watch Um, their ex and to see what's going on. And listen, people would never get married if there wasn't some element of um, wonder about the other person. Um, I'm sure that there were things about Ariel that Blair absolutely loved, um, but it seems like the negative eventually outweighed those positives. And kind of the same thing with Jillian and David and Jillian, I think initially was like, no, this doesn't work for me. And then she completely changed her mind after being around David and saying, nope, this is what I want. Um, But again, yeah, I think being in an environment that says, Hey, this could work if you want it to work, but it's definitely not going to work only because of lust and because you look hot today. Yeah. And putting them, you know, <laughs> basically sleeping in the same room as your ex, something you hadn't done since, you know, you were mm-hmm. married, you get back in that routine of, Oh, Hey, this is the way it was when we were together. Yeah. And you know, yeah, exactly. I, I totally yeah. understand the whole proximity of each other thing. Um, One thing I hear a lot in relationships that I don't necessarily agree with uh, just in talking about moving on from relationships and going to the next one is um, people saying, you know, telling me or telling anybody, you know, don't let your past relationships affect your future ones. Don't take your problems from your past one and then insert them upon your new partner. And I guess it's a I guess it's more of a case by case basis. But for me, In my dating life, when I've seen, when I've started dating somebody new, to say don't let anything that happened in my past relationship affect my current one seems to be a little, I don't know, it seems short-sighted because if I start seeing the same behaviors of somebody new that I'm dating that are exactly the same as somebody that I dated in the past, immediately I'm going to put the brakes on or at least explore it a little bit. I'm not going to be like, well, no. Um, this is a new person. They certainly can't be like the other one. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, what are your thoughts on don't let past relationships affect future ones? Well, past relationships will have some impact yeah. on future ones and how you choose uh, future partners. But if I could just give you just a, a little psychoeducation and take you back to maybe your first psychology class, if you've ever had one or yeah, a little dude. biology, yeah. <laughs> what, what I'd like to do is just talk about the brain for a second. And I'm going to do it in a way that just gives context to what you're saying. Okay, good. So 
when you think about the brain, in the center of the brain, there's a small area that's called the amygdala. The amygdala is that area where all of our memories and emotions are seared into that part of the brain. And so whenever there's a distress signal that is sent, that area of the brain is going to light up to say that, hey, Houston, we have a problem. There is an issue and we have to defend ourselves. And we all know that process as the stress response, which happens within a tenth of a millisecond. And that stress response is what we call fight, flight, or freeze, right? Well, when we're in relationships and something triggers us or there is a distress signal, our memory, it's going to come up automatically. We're going to go into fight or flight. We're going to figure out how can we protect ourselves from either the memory that has been triggered or the behavior that we see in front of us. And so we have a choice in that moment. So when we talk about not letting our past relationships define our future relationships, I don't think that's the real issue. The real issue is have we grown, have we matured, have we done our own work to choose a better partner for our future? And if we are stuck in our past, then, of course, we're going to continue that same repetitive cycle. And so breaking the cycle and understanding, okay, yeah, I had this partner and this person cheated on me and that did not feel good and I'm not going down that road again. Well, there are elements of that relationship that taught you a lesson that will give you a red flag to say, okay, this is a behavior that I need to address. So I should be able to have that conversation with my current partner in a healthy way, not in a jealous way, not in a rageful way, not in a way that's going to fracture the relationship, but in a way that says, hey, you know, I've been through something and I'm, I'm kind of getting these vibes. It may be me, it may be you, I don't know, but can we have this conversation? Yeah, that's interesting because I think we see it a lot on reality television, and it I'm sure it happens in, in obviously real dating as well. So many people go into a relationship, and I, and I guess we just hear it more because we see so many relationship shows on TV where someone goes in and you hear this on TV all the time about, I'm just protecting myself because I don't want to get hurt. I, I mm-hmm. don't, I'm, I'm scared to open up. I, I'm, a, I'm, not as, I'm not great at being vulnerable. And mm-hmm. then if they do do that and they get hurt again, it's only going to make it even doubly hard for them to in their next person that they date. Well, I just opened yep. up to my last boyfriend. I told him everything. I was so vulnerable and he broke my heart. So God forbid I'm not doing that again until mm-hmm. I have your full confidence or I fully trust you. But it's just like, at what point do you get to where you're like, it, can you just open up in every single relationship or is it normal to be like, no, you have to, you know, my ex did this to me and I know that's not you, but I was just so vulnerable and I got my heart stomped on. So I'm going to be extra careful this time around. Yeah. Okay. So ask me the question again, Steve, I was following you. What put the question in the concise <laughs> question for me? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I guess, the, I guess the question would be if you go, if you so vulnerable, you open up and your heart gets stomped on going to that next relationship as we mm-hmm. said, we don't want to sit there and say, well, I know you're not the guy that I was just with, but I was just with somebody and I was so vulnerable, I opened up. So for you, now Mr. New Guy that I'm dating, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little more protective and until I have like the full confidence I can't open up, then the guy might be in that relationship saying, but I can't get to where... I need to know if I can be with you if you're not opening up to me. It's almost just seems like mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. butting heads. So what what is the proper way to advance the new relationship if you just opened up with somebody and had your heart stomped on? Yeah, and there I don't think there is a definitive proper way to address an issue like that because every situation is different. Mm-hmm. However, I would certainly say that This is what I tell my clients who have gone through a divorce, through a breakup, go through the healing process first. 
once you're at a place where you feel that you can open up again and you feel that you're ready to date again, no holds barred, meaning go ahead and enter into the relationship being willing to say, hey, this is what, here are my expectations, here are my needs, these are deal breakers for me, and I don't want to be so rigid, but I'm only going to share with you what, what has happened to me, and I just don't want it to happen again. If you have someone who's able to meet you at that particular um, level of vulnerability, authenticity, and genuineness, then you should be able to work through anything because there will be ups and downs. There's not a perfect format. It's not a it's it's a nonlinear process. It's not going to be straight through. You're going to be on the mountaintop one day and you're going to be in the valley the next. But the real question is, do you have someone that you can trust to work through those moments with? So I'm gathering what you're saying is almost like the reason those situations happen when the next relationship comes along and you don't want to open up and be vulnerable is because you aren't healed from the the previous one. You you haven't yeah. you haven't gotten to that point where I was like you're saying, "Hey, don't move on to somebody else until you've grasped what just happened and you're ready to be vulnerable and open up to somebody because if you don't, you're just going to be closed off and that new relationship probably isn't going to get to where it needs to be since you're being mm-hmm. so you know, protective and like, yeah. And that's the perpetual cycle you were, you were talking about. That's the cycle. That's that insanity component of, you know, the reality is if you're not completely in a space of, um, again, being willing and ready to do the work and finding, I like to call them the lessons learned, really finding those lessons that will allow you to be a more resilient person to increase emotional intelligence, to get to a place where you recognize that you're bringing 100% to the table and you hope the person that you choose is bringing 100% to the table. You don't want to come into a relationship broken and fractured because you're going to limp your way through life hoping that it's going to work. Um, it's, It's being in a healthy space that allows people to thrive in healthy relationships. So the final thing I want to talk about is something that's come up in recent years, probably the last two or three years, especially on reality TV, especially when it comes to dating shows. It's the new buzzword that everyone likes to throw around in regarding relationships, and that is the word gaslighting. I feel it's being overused, (laughs) and I feel I don't even know if there's an actual universal definition for gaslighting. So I want to come to a professional and ask you when someone says he gaslighted me, um, what, what is the universal definition? If there is one, and if there's not a universal definition, what do you tell people gaslighting is? Okay. So there is a psychological term and definition for gaslighting and gaslighting is a part of the, Um, abuse cycle. And so gaslighting would be, I would define it as a form of intentional and sometimes unintentional manipulation and deep-rooted emotional abuse where a, I'll say a, a predator or, and when I say predator, I mean in the sense of someone who is antagonizing a victim where they seek to um, cause the other person to doubt their own understandings, their own thoughts, their own perceptions of a situation, and sometimes their own sanity. In other words, meaning that it causes a person to feel like they're going crazy because they're questioning whether or not something happened or it didn't happen. So that there is a true um, psychological definition for gaslighting. So did that help answer the question? Yeah. But in, when it comes to reality TV mm-hmm. my, and the way it's being thrown around, we're seeing people who meet on a reality show who get in a disagreement and they're saying, my God, he gaslighted me. And it's just like, it's almost like, let's just say, say two people are in a relationship and the guy says, 
to her. Uh, I don't know. I'm just making something up. Of sure, you know, let's you know, let's let's go out. Uh, dinner's at seven o'clock tonight, and then they're getting close to seven o'clock, and um, the you know she's not ready, and she says, "Well, I thought you said uh, dinner was at you know eight o'clock or whatever," and then they get in this discussion about when who said what, and then someone starts doubting. You know, you're you're making me doubt my own reality. I said, seven, wait, no, you didn't. And then the other person is just pounding it in your head. No, you know, the husband says, no, I didn't say seven. I said six. I said six. And she's like, well, no, you said you said seven. And then he gets mad at her for thinking he said seven when he actually did. That's what these arguments are turning into. And then people are screaming gaslight. And I'm just like, I, I mean, maybe it's a form of it, but it seems like that's on a much lower level. Gaslighting seems to me more deep rooted than how you yeah. what, what you described, where it's like a a, a, an emotional and mental just beat down of somebody so they begin to question their own reality not hey what time did i tell you dinner was you know correct okay. correct and 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 so okay so yeah that made that made complete sense steve and so when we're talking about the process of gaslighting really what we're looking at is the relationship in the context of how long these people have been in a relationship and is the person who's gaslighting attempting to gain a form of power and control over the other person in order to cause some form of damage that will ultimately bring the relationship to demise. And so we're not talking about people who just met each other and then all of a sudden they're arguing about time or arguing about you said this and then you said that and then what you really meant was this. We're talking about are you attempting to gain power and control? Now, can you do that in a short period of time? You may have someone who is, say, a narcissist, and I don't like to throw that word around um, haphazardly. There is a DSM diagnosis code for that and i don't think that we should throw it around casually however for those who have that diagnosis it may be that they have a perpetual um, behavior of gaslighting others because that's part of their criteria of diagnosing um, from an abusive perspective. Does that make sense, Steve? And I know I went a little clinical, but I really wanted you to understand uh, the difference. Yeah, no, I do. And because uh, it just frustrates me seeing it so much on reality TV shows with people that literally just met. And like I said, I, I do think it, you know, if you, you said this, wait, no, I didn't. You're remembering it wrong. And then and then mm-hmm. that me- when you tell someone you're remembering it wrong, that seems to be a form of you're trying to get them to question their own sanity, your own reality. And it's just like, okay, maybe on a smaller, shorter level, it is a, a form of gaslighting, but that's not, I think, the true definition of gaslighting, which Correct. is what you said was like almost a systematic breakdown of another person to, to <laughs> make them believe that nothing they believe is actually real. And, Correct. and it's done over more of a period of time, but yes, Correct. is it, could it be short-term gaslighting? Yes. So, uh, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, but Dr. Jada, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we've loved you so far this season of the Big D. We've loved the Big D in general. Can't wait to find out uh, how this all wraps up, uh, who wins the grand prize at the end of this thing, what other twists and turns we have in the last few episodes here. Uh, for the first time on, I, I loved having you on. I definitely want to have you on again in the future. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thank you so much to Dr. Jada. Really enjoyed that conversation. If you've been watching the Big D this season, you know, I wish we could see her more. Um, She's only had two um, conversation sessions that have aired, and that was the Devin and the Takora one that we found out. I'm sure we're going to see her more before the end of the season. She's there for all the uh, exercises. We know that. But um, just to hear kind of how she breaks things down when it comes to relationship, when it comes to marriage divorcees like i really good stuff definitely gonna have her on uh again in the future hell i hope there's a second season uh of the big d anyway thank you all for listening i really appreciate it the um you follow me uh on uh, on 
Apple Podcasts, rate and review if you'd like. Uh, the daily roundup is up from earlier today. Uh, uh, as you know, I'll be I'm in California this weekend. I will be still posting the daily roundup and the sports daily tomorrow. It'll be from uh, California, so it'll sound a little bit different since I'm recording into my phone Sunday. Uh, recording Monday's show uh, when I record Sunday night might have a little uh, little surprise uh, for everybody on the Daily Roundup, but uh, keep that in mind and uh, again, for Dr. Jada, thank you to her again for coming on, really uh, enjoyed that conversation, so again, for Dr. Jada Jackson I'm Reality Steve thank you all for tuning in and I will talk to you tomorrow see ya!